The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, this is Pastor Chris, and um, I am so excited to talk to you about um, one of the core subjects in the life of our church. And uh, no matter where you are in the Ecclesia family, uh, you're a part of a family. Uh, you're a part of a biological family. Maybe you're a mother, you're a father, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a brother, you're a sister. And I thought I'd share with you this week about one of the core tenets of our faith at Ecclesia. From the very beginning of the church, and we're gonna talk a lot about this now because we're turning 20 years old. In September, our church will be 20, and it's at those kind of ages that you start to look back and say, what have we believed, and how's that gone for us, and what do we believe about the future, and who do we wanna be? And this is what we've said from the beginning of our church, literally the very first service. Um, that we would know if we were successful as a church, not in the coming years as we got a building or we did this or that or hit certain attendance markers or did certain things even for the world. We have said from the beginning, we'd know that we were a success as a church if we could actually pass on our faith in a tangible way to our kids. Now, part of that is rooted in my story and the fact that my faith was passed on um, but the church that I grew up in, I, I realized as I came into my life as an adult, um, that I had inherited Jesus, but there wasn't much about the life and the rhythms of those churches that I wanted to dedicate my life to. In fact, um, if it came down to being a Christian and having to go to a church like that, I thought I might end up in this awful, difficult place of trying to be a Christian without the church, which by the way, I don't recommend uh, because the church is his body. If you want to know Jesus, you got to be connected to his body. And yet when the body felt really toxic, it was really, really hard. And in my experience, when I looked back, one of the big stumbling blocks as a kid was the way that people treated us when we were in the church. Maybe it was just because it seemed like it was cool to be an adult and adults seemed to have power. And our church seemed to be based on kind of power structures. When I got to church, it felt like all the adults were telling me what to do. You can't do this and don't do that and don't run in the hall and don't, and everything was a don't. And life was filled with rules. And I'm telling you, read Romans and you'll figure this out. Part of what Paul explains to us is if life is based on the rules and the law, all you'll want to do is break the rules. And you'll want to break the rules even more if the way that people are talking to you about the rules just isn't that kind. I remember being at church and people yelled at us a lot. They just weren't, they weren't kind. And we've said from the beginning at Ecclesia, we're gonna be the kind of church that when you see a kid, your voice is gonna change, right? If you gotta say something hard to a kid, our encouragement is sing it to them, right? Say it in a tone that is so warm and friendly that they're like, I really like them. You, anybody have a kindergarten teacher like that that just said, now it's time to tie your shoes. You're like, oh, okay, I think I will. She's, she sung it really nice and really beautiful. And there is no harshness at all in her tone. And when you talk to a kid at Ecclesia, our hope is that you get down on their level and you look them in the eye. And what happens when you do that? One, they can see you, but two, you've said to them, you're really important. I mean, this is the story of Christianity. Christ comes from heaven to earth to come down to us. So when you see a kid, 
You get down and you look at them and you say, I'm so glad to see you. And my hope and prayer from the beginning has been that kids would be the ones telling their parents, we got to go to church this week. Why? Not because we got video games. We don't have any of those. Even our playground's not that great, although I like to get out there and watch the kids swing. The great thing we have going for us at Ecclesia is that people really like kids. And the kids are here and they go, everybody there loves me. Those people, those people are so excited to see me. Whether it's in the kids' ministry or it's kids that decide they want to stay in the service or they want to go get an everything bar from the coffee shop and the baristas love them and see them. Everywhere that a kid goes in our church, I want it to abound with love. Now, I believe, Ecclesia, that these values have to spill outside the church building and into our homes and lives as well. One of the things that I love most when I go to the Holy Land is the experience that our groups share with a Jewish family. We get to go into a local home and eat a Shabbat meal. When Shabbat starts, the world gets really quiet and calm for practicing Jews. And Jews uh, then celebrate this beautiful meal. And there's so much that I love about it. I love the food. I love the wine. They start off and the uh, father of the home, nothing happens until he drinks a whole glass of wine and he drinks that glass of wine and they pray and they wash their hands and they break the bread and they tell the story of the Exodus. But what I love most, and I'll tell you every time it brings tears to my eyes, is they bring their kids in and they, they get really close to them and they whisper a prayer in their ear. And every Friday night, both parents pray for every one of their kids. I don't know when the last time you did that was, but they just tell them they love them and they pray for them. They believe they're a gift from God and they're a blessing. And if you're a kid, and somewhere in the world, our kids have gotten messages. They've gotten messages that some of them believe they're a mistake or they don't belong. And parents and aunts and uncles and church members and when everybody around them tells them, no, you're a gift. You're a gift from God. We love you. The scriptures tell us the greatest gift that God can give us is our children. And so this week, Ecclesia, I just want to invite you to consider the ways that the rhythms of Ecclesia, the values that we have, that we would hold to, would contribute um, to the formation of kids growing up to be remarkable adults. And I think it's important that we contemplate together what kind of adults are we raising as we um, nurture and love and shape these kids. So Ecclesia, imagine with me when we first started. Um, we're starting a church. We, it's going to look really different than other churches. It's, as we go back 20 years, it's really hard to imagine how different Ecclesia was uh, than the landscape that we saw in local churches, the kind of churches I'd experienced. And one of the questions was, what will it be like for our kids to grow up in a church like this? My kids literally grew up uh, in our little building on Taft. My older ones, they lived there in the church building. And that was a crazy place in Montrose 20 years ago. Um, it was filled with activity. A lot of the people we were serving and loving uh, had been living on the streets. A lot of them had some major addictions. Um, and they were like characters out of books to my kids, just beautiful, remarkable people that were struggling well in life. And it just became the norm. We got to walk with and to a lot of people that were working the streets, sometimes were selling themselves uh, to feed their addictions. And for my kids, it just became normal. I'll never forget one of my early rituals with my oldest daughter, uh, Hannah. Many of you remember when you just had one kid, uh, you could do things you couldn't do with multiple kids. And I'd let Hannah stay up so late. Mom would go to bed, we'd stay up watching basketball games. And, goofing around. And then if you remember in those days, there used to be a taco cabana at the intersection of Westheimer and Montrose. And I would wait until 1130 PM because anybody that really knows and loves taco cabana already knows this. They start serving breakfast at 1130 PM. 
And the Eggs Mexicana are literally the best thing you can get at a fast food place. And at 11.30 p.m., I would load Hannah up in the car seat, I'd put her in the back seat, and we'd do a little late night field trip to Taco Cabana. Now, if you're driving through Montrose, um, maybe people don't see that you got a kid in the back seat. And uh, if you were driving around Montrose 20 years ago, you may remember that um, some of the folks that are selling themselves on the street can be pretty aggressive. In fact, uh, one of these nights, uh, a lady literally was getting up in front of our car trying to stop me and was very much trying to reveal uh, the goods that she wanted to uh, offer. I, I got a little kid in the, in the back seat, right? And Hannah's about two years old and I'll never forget Hannah saying, Dad, that lady is so friendly. I thought, yeah, she is really, really friendly. Uh, at that point, right, I'm wondering, like, what am I doing to my kids? I'm raising them here in Montrose, and is this going to scar them forever? And i got to tell you, Ecclesia, I just shared with you a few weeks ago about uh, what we are getting to do in Mexico City as we partner with our brothers and sisters there uh, that are fighting human trafficking. And we're uh, loving men and women that work the streets in Mexico City where prostitution and human trafficking are such a big problem. And I got to watch that same daughter. She's not two anymore, she's 20. And she was giving uh, manicures to some of the women that are working the streets, telling them how beautiful their hands are. She said, Dad, it just felt so natural. This is just what happens when you grow up in life of the church at Ecclesia. She's been to Mexico City with me, to other places like Zambia. This is a nation that she loves, uh, where she will spend multiple summers in her college life uh, serving the children in Zambia. And uh, so much of who she is was shaped by who we are together as a community. And I thought, um, as we think about the way that our community shapes our children, she, as the, uh, she was the third member, she likes to say she was the first, that Lisa and I were the second, uh, and third at Ecclesia, as one of the earliest members of our church, um, how we might think about um, our kids' formation. If I want to say, when I was a baby, I was happy. Pamene nenzeli baby, nenzeli okondwe. Okay. Indiwe okondwela, you're happy. Dine okondwela, I am happy. My name's Hannah C, and I've been at Ecclesia since I was one years old. I love that I had the experience to grow up at Taft. It really, I think, shaped uh, how I see different kinds of people because there are a lot of different kinds of people in our neighborhood. Seeing that up front has really, like, it's influenced what I gravitate towards. It showed me how just to love in like the small rhythms and inviting people in just to enjoy life like along with our family.
It was so fun getting to know each and every one of them, and they really kind of took to me pretty fast, which I was surprised with. They just immediately opened up to me, and we became really close. I just fell in love with it. And even the first time I came here, I mean, I was a newbie, but I just like felt this tug on my heart that like it's not over for you here. I started to learn Yanja last summer when I was on summer staff with Family Legacy. Before that, I just knew the very basic, you know, communication things like, how are you, I love you, those kinds of things um, that most Americans learn. So when I speak to someone in Yanja, it's much different than my reactions with them when I speak in English. I'll say something to them in Yanja, and all of a sudden, like, their face just goes, like blank and they just start talking to me genuinely and they just drop the whole act and all of a sudden we can have like really genuine connection and they don't I feel like they don't treat me as much as I'm this outsider that's kind of exotic they start kind of talking to me like I'm one of them almost as a school chikambuso that I've been working at I've been spending a lot of time with them learning Nyanja, and so I'll go from class to class, um, helping the teachers, assisting them with anything, um, and just learning from their Nyanja lessons. And in fourth grade specifically, we sit down, and I have five students who have tutored me for every day for the past couple of weeks. Ella is getting better because also I want to know how to speak Nyanja. She's a good student because her when we ask her questions is get is answering the questions correct. Taking on the personality of a learner um, really helps me approach people in a way that doesn't feel like I'm trying to save them. It really feels like we're here and we both have stuff to offer each other and we're learning and growing together. And um, as I work and grow and work really hard on my nyanja, um, they also feel like they're giving me something, and they are, and it's just really priceless. I want to become or try my best to be like one of them um, and engage in their culture and engage in their daily lives before I have anything to offer. The way I've realize that I best serve them is just by being there to listen and not in, in listening, then being vulnerable with myself too. Being in those really vulnerable situations and conversations and relationships is where I've realized that it's encouraging to each other and we're walking together in the hard stuff. Being open with them has let me serve them in a really different way. So Ecclesia, a few of you have been around long enough to really watch Hannah and my other kids grow up from the time they were little kids and babies. Uh, I'm sure it brings a tear to your eye the way it brings one to mine to see uh, the young people that God is shaping them to become. And uh, I'm praying that together our most important work would be loving and forming our kids in God's own image. One of my favorite passages that reminds us of our posture towards children comes in Matthew 18. The disciples have been bragging about who's the best, right? 
just like you would on your seventh grade B team basketball team, right? And you're like, who's the best? I'm the best. No, I think he's the best. I'm the best. They're, they're literally, it, it seems so immature, and yet that's what they're doing. And ultimately, they're like, well, we'll let Jesus decide. Jesus, right? In the kingdom of God, who's the greatest? And it tells us in Matthew 18 that Jesus called over a little child, and he put his hand on top of the child's head. And he tells them, this is the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In that kingdom, the most humble, who are most like this child, are the greatest. And whoever welcomes a child, welcomes her in my name, welcomes me. And do not, he says, lead astray one of the weak and friendless who believes in me. If you do, it would be better if you were dragged down with a millstone and drowned in the bottom of the sea. Now that's pretty strong language for Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but a drowning seems like about the worst way you could die. And Jesus says like, like that would be, it would be better to be drowned in the sea than to mislead or influence poorly a child. And so at Ecclesia, we have said where we want to live into these rhythms, we want to invite our kids to live into these rhythms with us. If you're new to Ecclesia, you may or may not know that we have these rhythms that we've said, these are going to be things, practical things that we do each week. We said, we're going to be a people that are real. We're going to be a people that are kind. We want to be a people that are hospitable. We want to seek beauty. We want to seek God. And we want to serve others. Now, there's so much to cover in all of those. Um, to be real as a parent is a really important thing, right? It means that we demonstrate in front of our kids that we fail. It means we often are the ones to go to our kids and say, I'm really sorry, I blew it. Um, it's hard to do as a parent. Um, parenting's hard, life is hard. Uh, but being real about our faults and our failures is so important. All of these rhythms are helpful. Being hospitable in the way we serve others in our home, it's, it's a gift, right? If our kids grow up around different kinds of people and our table is open. But I think particularly kids see wonder and awe and beauty in ways that it expands their imagination and their worldview. Um, and as a church, everything we do in our kids' ministry, everything we do as families, we want to build on their love for beauty. That's why art's important from the time you're a kid. One of the great goals of raising our kids well at Ecclesia is that our kids would believe they're artists for their whole life. Often what happens in the church and the education system is that you go to kindergarten, you ask them, who's an artist here, right? Everybody raises their hands by the time they get to third fourth fifth sixth grade and up fewer and fewer kids raise their hand and say they're an artist and we want to say to all of our kids theologically we believe that you're an artist you're created in the image of God to co-create with God which means we are all artists we are all creatives and the more we see of beauty the more it transforms our heart and our mind I get so encouraged when I hear stories from Ecclesians that are living into these rhythms well um, our dear brother Edward Sanchez and his wife Amy uh, are on staff they're a part of our story team but I love hearing stories from the two of them Amy He's a gifted artist, but the, the lens that she sees the world and the way that she invites her boys into that is such a gift. And I would love to share just a glimpse into their creative beauty seeking life with you. So my tie with art and the ocean water is something that I'm still unpacking and trying to understand myself. I think that everyone has something that maybe they're inexplicably 
drawn to or attracted to. Um, for me, it's, it's the ocean, it's the water. And it always has been, well before I became an artist. The ocean is just sort of a catalyst for my creativity, you know? It's just, it's really just, it's no different for me than when someone goes into a prayer closet, you know, and they just shut out the world and they just sit there quietly with God and they just listen. Like, the ocean is my prayer closet, I guess. It's just where I go to, to listen and to be heard. Amy and I first met in Waco, Texas. She was at Baylor. She was in art. She was in art school there. When I met him, he was playing in about three or four different bands. I would go to shows and see him there, you know, or he'd go to an art opening and see me there. We kind of had that mutual love of art before we had any kind of love for each other. <laughs> so I think it's just something really special that we shared. Seeking beauty is kind of an endless pursuit for me. I never feel closer to God than when I'm creating. You know, if you start at the beginning of the Bible, it's the first thing that you hear about God, right, is that He is a creator. I mean, when I started realizing myself as an artist, is that being creative, for me, that's part of being made in the image of God, is that we are creators just the way that He is a creator. You know, before we had kids, we, we had some friends who, a lot of friends who had kids before us, and, and they, they would always tell us, you know, when you have kids, a lot of people totally change their lifestyle for their kids. Um, and in some ways, that's good, right? But I think more of what they were getting at was, we are kind of on this trajectory that God is in path, that God has us on. And when we have kids, we're inviting them in to what God's already doing in our life. Yeah, sometimes it is kind of a crazy house, you know. My wife and I are both working artists, and so, and we have two sons, and they are cavemen, but also really amazing and lovable at the same time. When you're at home all day long with your kids, uh, who may or may not be bickering all day, or making a mess, or breaking something, it's hard to feel like, oh, this is it, you know, I'm living this beautiful creative life with my children and but the truth is like every moment counts you know we intentionally as a couple decided that we were going to not only value creativity for ourselves um, but that we wanted to value it as a family and to make space for our kids you know we have an art uh, a studio kind of slash school room that at any point when they're feeling creative, they can just go and have access to markers and colors and paper. Um, we have, you know, a big garden and we have some some chickens and it's just kind of one of those things of just kind of in every aspect of our life, how can we really be responsible and intentional? And art's just been something that's gotten me through happy times and sad times and it's been therapy and it's been communion with the Holy Spirit. It's just been absolutely invaluable to me and I can't imagine raising my kids and not giving them that same gift, you know, not teaching them how deeply it can change their life.
one of the most fun things is all being outside together, even if we're working. If we're out there and Amy and I are pouring bags of mulch or digging a new garden bed or building something out, you know, for the chickens. And they're just really, really pumped to be out there just helping us. I think we just really, really hope that they are learning this kind of incarnational living aspect that really lets them be who they are. For me, I want my kids to succeed in doing what they love. I want them to value the gifts that God's given them because they are incredibly creative. They're incredibly talented in their own ways. My youngest, Given, is a phenomenal storyteller. He comes up with these multi-dimensional epic sagas that I would never expect to hear come out of a six-year-old's mouth. Um, or Ransom when he sits and plays and he'll play these incredible songs and then he'll come tell us later how God is confusing. And I don't always understand God. And I'm not sure I really get everything that the Bible is telling me or everything I learn at church. But when I play piano, I just feel something come over me and I just feel like God's in the room with me. For me, pursuing art is just really another way of pursuing, pursuing God and understanding His heart. And so if I can help my kids along that path, then I think that's probably the best thing I can do as a parent. Oh, Ecclesia, I love stories like that. I, I don't know what's keeping your family occupied, but I hope that in the busyness of life, uh, that this summer you could slow down. You could get to the beach. You could take some long walks. You could create some things together uh, that maybe you've never even thought of. This Pastor Wayne Brown come and share with you. Uh, Wayne has been a part of our Ecclesia family for a long time. There's a lot that I love about Wayne. Uh, I love the way that he serves. He's fun to be with. He's got a great sense of humor. But I think my favorite things about Wayne are his commitment to be a great father and husband and um, seek to raise his kids in the church in a way that shapes them in really beautiful ways. I'd ask Wayne to share a few thoughts with us as we prepare to come to communion. Oh, man. I was not kidding. That is fantastic. And I'm so glad you got to hear from Hannah and Amy uh, and hear their stories. I, I told them, I'm so glad you guys let me see this video on Thursday because the first time I watched it, I was speechless. Uh, so beautiful, so good. Uh, and I'm honored to just get to share a little bit about what I've uh, experienced uh, with my kids. And I, I can tell you as somebody who's a pastor who feels called to be here, to be with you, um, I also know that at the end of the day, there's no, no more sacred calling than to be a husband and to be a dad. Um, and I'm not kidding about that, that this privilege that we get to raise kids is so beautiful and so good. Um, and I just want to share a little bit about that, my experience with that. So I, I think if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, I shared in a, in a sermon how Moses, my son, uh, is one of my heroes. And I want to tell you a little bit more about that. So Moses is six. Uh, what a gift he's been to us. Uh, I cannot begin to explain all the ways that we experience things with him that we just don't with other kids. So uh, we named him Moses, right? No pressure there, right? Um, it's kind of a big name, right? Uh, and I, I can remember, uh, I think it was like two or three months in, it was nearing Father's Day and the church we were part of uh, made an invitation, hey dads, tweet out your prayers for your kids. 
So I get on Twitter and I'm like, I pray that my son grows up to be uh, a liberator of people, right? Like no pressure, you know, kiddo. <laughs> so, but I, I love this idea of, hey, our, our, like I'd love to raise somebody who looks to how can we set other people free. And it was maybe about eight or nine months in that it was really becoming apparent and obvious to us that uh, things with Moses were more challenging for us than what so many simple things were for our friends who were having their first kid. And we were first time parents, so we didn't really know what we were doing anyway. But it was clear, like, hey, this is more challenging for us. And so we started having conversations with our pediatrician and our doctor, and she recommended that we uh, see some specialists. So we ran the gambit of talking to specialists. Uh, we saw a neurologist. Uh, we also saw a heart specialist. They tested his hearing, um, all kinds of blood tests and everything. And we finally saw a geneticist um, and they ran some tests and it came back that Moses, uh, his 22nd chromosome is duplicated. And when I tell you that they don't really know much about that, they, they were not kidding. And that was not very comforting to hear as parents, like, hey, we don't really know what's going on. But it's kind of a spectrum. So there, there are folks who have this same um, chromosomal challenge that he has that are severely disabled by the time they're adults. And there's some that have this that don't find out they have it until their kids inherit it from them and they find out their kids are having some struggles. So when they say like, we don't know what's going on, they aren't kidding. And I wish I could tell you that we felt so comforted in that, but we didn't. And it just uh, created all kinds of more questions and what do we do and how do we help out? And I can remember thinking in that moment of like, what have I done to this kid? I gave him the name of Moses, you know? Um, and just asking like, hey, help, help us. Like, how do, we, how do we raise him? And uh, one of the things we learned early on was that his sensory system uh, has grown and developed differently than what mine has. And so he is ultra sensitive to things that I don't even realize are going on. Um, so lights and sounds and um, textures, uh, like wearing clothes, sometimes getting dressed in the morning is one of the hardest things ever. Uh, if it doesn't have a tag, it's awesome, right? Like we're looking for that. Swim shirts, he's cool with. If it's three quarters, he can't do it. Like it's got to be all the way or short sleeve. Like, and I'm telling you, if you ever come over to our house, you just get ready because when he gets home at the end of the day, like all the clothes come off and he's just hanging out in his diaper, right? Like that's how we roll at our house. So, um, and it's a gift. But I can remember this one day, uh, oh, his favorite place on the planet is Target. I kid you not. We take this kid to the beach, right? And we're on the water and we're playing in the sand. We're doing all this kind of stuff. Hey, buddy, what do you want to do today? I want to go to Target. <laughs> like, okay, we'll go to Target, right? So I can remember this one day, he and I had some time. It was just the two of us together. And I decide, like, that's your favorite place. Let's go to Target. And I don't know what it was, but he was just having a particularly challenging day. I don't know if it was the lights or the sound or, or something, maybe it was his clothes, but you could just tell he was getting more and more agitated uh, to the point where he was in full on meltdown mode. And normally what happens when we hit this kind of place is I just kind of scoop him up in my arms and uh, just carry him to the parking lot with all the kicking and screaming uh, and then get him in his seat and we drive uh, for a little bit until he finally can uh, like calm down. But I remember in this moment, this day, the, the meltdown was coming, you could see it, and uh, I just decided for whatever reason, we don't have anywhere to be, like, like bring it, let's go. So I just laid down on the floor next to him in the middle of the aisle in Target, and uh, we both just kind of cried. <laughs> 
in the middle of Target, and uh, it was awkward because um, there were people that were like uh, looking at us, like, "What is happening right now?" And I was just kind of like, "Hey, that book you're looking for, it's right over there. Like, you know, it's gonna be totally fine, right? Yes, we know the floor is dirty. Like, we'll take a bath later. It's gonna be fine." Uh, and what I learned is uh, he actually calmed himself so much more quickly um, by just being free to just do that. And it was so opposite of how I typically process and experience things because I'm constantly in my mind thinking about what am I projecting for other people, right? Am I setting the right example? I'm a pastor. I should have it all together. I should show you how to raise your kids, right? And uh, all this kind of stuff. And it was so freeing to forget about all of that and to just be present in the moment with my son. And when I tell you that he has set me free in ways that no one else has. I'm not kidding. I'm so grateful that he has done that for me, that he has been a liberator for me. And if I could share anything, I would share that uh, this is part of what we want us to experience and to see is that, yes, there's places where we need to be a guide for our kids. But at the same time, they're also some of the best teachers on the planet, that they have so much to offer us. And he helps me see the way that the mystics see, right? That God is present here and now, and it's not somewhere else, but it's here, it's in my body, it's in this moment. And he helps me to see and be present to that. And if there's anything that we wanna invite you into is to begin to see your kids, other people's kids as just that, as, man, they're a gift to us and they have so much to teach us. And if you're not sure, where do I start? Like, how do I begin to do that? I would love to invite you to participate and to serve in our family ministry here. Uh, I love Haley, who was doing the offering prayer earlier, and Katie, uh, Christina, who does our Mother's Day Out program. And I could tell you all day long about what it is to humble yourself before you talk to a kid, about how to be present, about how to see them as uh, teachers. But if you spend some time with them, they will embody it for you. You'll get to see it in real life, flesh and blood happening before your eyes. If you want to talk to them, they're going to be out at the connect table afterwards, um, and they'd love to do that. Just heads up, first thing they're going to do is they're going to have you do a background check so that we can create a safe space for our kids, so that's coming, but uh, would love for that um, because you're going to get to see and experience so much more. It's not just about helping where we need help. It's about it's going to make you a better human being. Does that make sense? Um, But the other thing, I want to go back to uh, that verse where Chris shared and Jesus said, to us, he said, unless you become like a little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it sounds harsh. It sounds like hard to believe sometimes, but I had an experience recently that helped me understand, I think, what Jesus is saying. It was on Father's Day. I texted my dad and, you know, just the the usual, dad, love you, so grateful for you, um, those kind of things. And sometimes he responds back, sometimes he doesn't, but uh, he responded back pretty quickly in uh, one line, so simple. He said, I'm so proud of the dad that you've become. And when I got that text back, it was like I was in kindergarten all again, right? That I was like a little child who just needed to hear that from his dad. Um, And I think this is what Jesus is talking about for us, that all of us are in a place where we need to be reminded that at the end of the day, we are loved, 
not for what you do, not for what you offer. You're loved because God made you and he loves you. And if we try to come to him as earning his love or his favor or his grace, we'll never actually be able to receive the kingdom of heaven and what he's offering because it's there and it's just for us to receive. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.